0: Good morning and happy 4th of July to all of you. It is so good to see your faces and for those of you tuning in online, we're so grateful to be able to worship together. Well, I got to tell you, 4th of July, never experienced anything like it. Usually I'm excited to preach on 4th of July weekend because it's, well, it's fun. People are in a good mood. You can preach a sermon on Jesus came to set us free. We live in freedom. There's so much fun to talk about. I mean, it's an exciting time. But this year doesn't feel that way. I mean, we've had 130,000 deaths in our country. How do you celebrate as a country? We have racial unrest. We've got tons of divide and tons of frustration and just pain. How do you celebrate? You see, we're in the middle of what some of us feel like is a life-defining moment for us as a a people. So how do you deal with this? That's why we're doing a series right now called The Upside-Down Kingdom. You see, Jesus' kingdom, as we looked at last week and started the series of teachings, really has always been different. So if anybody should flourish during a time such as this, it should be the Christ follower. Because we understand what it means to live a different life, a more complicated life in some ways. And, And so we should flourish right now. We looked at this definition of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king. Makes sense. It means he should permeate all aspects of your life. So I'm going to meddle for a minute. Probably a very, very scary question to ask. But in light of where we're at as a country, and what I've been seeing just through social media, through lots of conversations with people around our church, there's a tension that we feel. And so this question I'm about to ask comes out of a deep prayer and a strong conviction from the Spirit of God that we need to go down this road for today. If the kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is, then we need to meddle in all aspects of our lives. So here's my question. Is Jesus king of your politics? Woo! Did he just say that out loud? Some of you may be thinking, yep, Pastor Ken's lost it. The isolation has caused him to go into madness. You can't use the word politics in church. What about separation of church and state? Well, if you've ever studied history, go back and read separation of church and state. Our forefathers, when they put that together, it was never to keep the church out of politics. It was to keep politics and the government out of the church. We completely misread it. We don't understand that the forefathers actually wanted faith in the government. Faith in the, in the church influencing what we make decisions on in policy. Separated church and state, how do, how do we deal with all of this? Well, if you'll, I know there might be tension in your spirit saying, oh, and 75% of you are online right now, so you could just turn into another website. But hang with me just for a moment. You see, let me take you into just the story of how politics work in this world. Politics actually comes from the root Latin words of poly, meaning many, and ticks being blood-sucking insects. No, no, no. no. Okay, it's probably not true. My wife told me not to tell that joke. I couldn't resist. It was too good. It's like let up on a platter for you. You got to take it. The word politics actually comes from the Greek, the word polis, which is actually where we get the word policy and police. It's a fascinating concept of polis. It literally just means a process by which people agree to live together. That's what politics at its root is supposed to be. A group of people coming together and agreeing how we should get along in society. Why wouldn't you want faith to be a part of the conversation on how we live together? And so for the church to be silent is, frankly, a quote that I've heard about evil is, evil only reigns when good people do nothing. And so for us to stay silent is a core conviction of mine that it's wrong for us not to have a courageous conversation. And you've heard me talk about sermons before that I believe sermons are just, I'm not supposed to feed you every nourished spiritual nugget that you're supposed to eat. I'm supposed to get the conversation started. I'm supposed to make you hungry for more. So I want to lay a foundation that maybe you've never considered before. Because in Galatians, it says that Jesus was born during the perfect moment in time. That word moment used in the Greek in Galatians there is actually the word a kairos moment. There's chronos, which is chronological time, but there's kairos, which is God time, where God looks for a perfect spiritual, emotional, psychological, political moment for something to happen, The perfect moment in time, Jesus was sent by the Father into this world. Well, let's talk about the world Jesus was sent into. Rome was one of the most mighty political machines known to human history. And he was born into that. In fact, Herod Agrippa, we have documentation in history. Herod Agrippa believed that every time he spoke, it was as if God himself spoke. Faith was definitely a part of those politics. Tiberius Caesar, I mean, you want to talk about head honcho over Rome, he wanted to be referred to as, see if you've ever heard these words before, king of kings and lord of lords. That was the title he wanted to go by. I hear some politics and faith getting mixed up here when we see Jesus and the gospel writers and and Pauline epistle talking about this same kind of language. And here's where it really gets messy. A group of Roman political leaders gathered together in a room to make policy is known as what in history? It's known as the ecclesia which is the exact term used every time in the New Testament for the church. The church is known as the ecclesia, the great gathering. God sent His Son into a perfect political machine to speak into a society to teach us how we should get along together. But it's messy because God's kingdom is contrary to the fleshly desires that we have. So we've been at polar opposite places for years and from from the beginning in many ways. In fact, think of just Jesus' bloodline alone. The Jews of Jesus' day didn't want a Messiah to just get them into heaven In Jesus' day, the Jews were very much political. In fact, their definition of a Messiah was someone who would come and actually overthrow the government. So Jesus was born into a bloodline of people who wanted to see the church influence politics in the government. So for us to just say, oh, we're good, we've got Jesus in heaven and we're good, is, is really... Not to truly be wise enough to enter into the story of what God has called us into. Jesus was born into that kind of world. In fact, to go a little bit further with that, there were political parties in Jesus' day. You've heard of the Pharisees? The Pharisees were known as the conservative party. They didn't want anything to do with anybody else. Our way, let's keep it staunch. Let's keep the rules. And you have the Sadducees. They were the liberal party without question. They threw anything about faith in some ways out. They didn't even care about the resurrection. I've memorized Sadducee because that's sad, you see. It's an easy way to remember it. So the Sadducees really just wanted to grab hands with Rome and say, okay, let's progressive lifestyle is good. The Essenes, they were another political party, and they literally said, if you can't beat them, go to the desert. So they ran away, and they hid off in their little colonies. John the Baptist, many believe, came from there. Then you had the zealots. The zealots were the radicals of the day. They were the, they were the ones that were like, we're going we're to mess with everybody and we're going to change the entire system. And many believe Judas Iscariot came from there. They actually, the Sikari had daggers. They literally would kill people to try to get their agenda passed. At this perfect moment in time, God sent his son into a political nightmare. We're not alone. This isn't a scary time for God. This shouldn't be a scary time for us. But we do need to have some intelligent conversations together. And so I hope to start a dialogue with you. And I want to take you into how Jesus started his ministry and how he moved his ministry through this world. Jesus spoke into all of that when he started his public ministry, and he said things like this, seek first My kingdom. Oh, I know, Jews, you've got your agenda. I know Rome has their agenda. But my kingdom will rise above all of this and will give you a different way to live for I'm going to teach you the process by which people really should live. Because if we're really honest, and as we study the ministry of Jesus, and frankly, as we study the Bible, the Bible is in many ways, in parts uh, throughout, a political manual, on teaching us how to live together. So Jesus described the kingdom of God this way. Once some Pharisees came to him and asked the question, you know, these rules keepers, and they they had their their flag-waving moment, and they said as they came to him, this is Luke 17, verse 20, once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come. They're trying to trap him in a political nightmare. And Jesus replied, the coming of the kingdom... Of God is not something that can be observed. Like, again, I'm not here to overthrow Rome. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is over there, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Remember our definition? The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus is king of your life. Does he have control of your life? Have you allowed him to be truly the king of kings and the Lord of lords of your life? It's an incredible call that Jesus has on us. So I want to take you a little bit further back into some of the history of politics. You see, God had three words, three characteristics of how people should live together. The process by which we have policy, how we care for each other. I give you these three words. They show up frequently in the Old Testament, and certainly give the platform through which now we are to live. The first word that I want to give you is—they're all Hebrew words—and I'll give you the English throughout. It's the word "hesed." You've probably heard this word before. It's like in Greek, um, the word "agape." Hesed is the word "love." Hesed is, is the concept of of saying, "I am—I am going to." Bring action and vitality into this world. Hesed is the type that doesn't just say, I feel something good for you. It actually says, I want to enter into your world. I want to understand why you do what you do. Hesed, as we see, it actually shows up 170 or 248 times in the Old Testament, 248 times. And the point being, every time that word shows up, you see different contexts of God showing how we are to love others. And it's beautiful because Hesed in God's kingdom teaching us how to live together is to say, when you disagree with someone, you don't yell at them and cast stones at them. You actually weep with them for what they weep about. Instead of posting why you're so angry at them over there, you actually first have a conversation and you ask the question, why? Why are you so passionate about what you're passionate about? Tell me our politics in this world would be far different if we would just hessid one another. If we truly learned how to feel empathy for somebody who disagrees with our stance on whatever issue we would get a lot further in life. You know what I mean. You've experienced, I hope, those moments where you've seen an enemy become a friend as you've understood one another's disagreeing stances. It's an incredible moment when hesed comes alive. This word shows up in many places, as I talked about, but Leviticus 19, here's one example of hesed in action. The alien, the immigrant, who resides with you shall be to you... As the citizen among you. Wow. Never tell me the Bible's not relevant to today. You shall, Hesed, you shall love that immigrant as yourself. For you once were an immigrant. You were an alien. You were a stranger in the land of Egypt. For I am the Lord your God. You bring them into your life. You get to know them and you in, invest in their life so that you can. Start to learn how to live together, in Hesed kind of love. This is not just speaking the words "I love you." This is living the words "I love you." So before we go around touting our politics, do we fir- we first need to ask the question, Jesus, are you Lord? Are you King over my Hesed, over the way I love people? For I believe if you really want to see change in this world, I think it's a much wiser approach to take God's way, which is loaded with love and hesed for somebody else's worldview in order to bring them into some place of understanding. And maybe you yourself will find some areas of sin in your life, as Jesus told us to drop our stones and not cast them at other people. We go into the next one, this word, mishpat, mishpat. This word, now we're gonna meddle, is the word justice. Here's where it's really complicated because this shows up more than the other two words combined. Justice shows up in the Old Testament 421 times. Woo! God uses the word Mishpat over and over and over again. This is really doing right for those who are oppressed doing right for those who are lesser than, those who are hurting, those who, are, who do not have advantages in life. Mishpat is really, truly finding ways to help somebody when they're down. This is in Isaiah chapter 1. God says, wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight, says God. Stop doing what is wrong. Learn To do what is right. Look at what he says next seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Come now, let's settle this matter. It's like God is a perfect lawyer saying, We're gonna defend, we're gonna protect, we're gonna go after this situation. Did you see the language? Defend, seek, um, take up the cause of the fatherless, rescue the widow. We can't just go like this and say, it's their problem over there because I don't agree with their politics. And so, hey, let them all go to hell in a handbasket. It's not my problem. God says, it is your problem. It is my problem. We are to be the mishpot. We are to be the example of grace and love into other people's stories. Oh, that's meddling. I know this is a hard sermon to hear. Why can't we just hear about Jesus set us free, let's go party? That's such an easier sermon, isn't it? But this is the kind of stuff that changes the trajectory of your life. This is the kind of stuff that can change your family system, can change the way that you see the world. Because I'm telling you, it's an, it wasn't until I had the courage to start to understand, why are they so angry? And I start having conversation, and I step over that line, and I start the dialogue that... My heart starts to break for what breaks theirs. And we find that maybe very well, God has been breaking over this very issue as well. And there's nothing more beautiful than watching enemies become friends. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. Well, that's been the ministry of the entire story of God as we see here. It's beautiful. It calls us in, you know. And and, and I know how you can feel around the justice issues because my goodness, there's messes everywhere. And I'm with you in the sense that I feel overwhelmed. I feel like, what can I do? It's the, it's the famous old story of a kid on a seashore and he sees all these starfish along the, I mean, millions of starfish that have just washed up on a, after a major storm and they're all dying. And, and he walks along and he just picks one up and he throws it in and some man comes and says, what are you doing? You're never going to save these starfish. And he says, well, it's going to help this one. It's going to help this one. If every one of us, I mean, we can, between us as a church, we can reach and care for and minister to thousands of hurting needs right in front of us. And this is the kind of stuff I don't want to just preach about. I'm so proud to be a part of what God is doing in our church and in the Wesleyan movement because we've always been a church that's about those that we can tangibly help and serve. There is a movement happening in our denomination overall. It's called Marketplace Multipliers. One of our board members here at our church, Carrie Witcher, has been actually leading the charge nationally for us and has been doing a phenomenal job. And we're going to be starting chapters of multi- or mark- Marketplace Multipliers all around the country. We're going to start one here in western New York, right out of our church, and we're going to join with some other churches. And what we're going to do is beautiful. It trains us how to see our workplace as a ministry, to put on the eyes of mishpat, to look around and see where there is need and to speak life into that. And so we're going to have some meetings where we train ourselves, where we can figure out how and collaborate together on bringing mishpat into the world, to bring justice and love into this world. So if you want to be a part of that, we'll talk more about it. We're just getting it started, but you can talk to John Lee or Mark Jentz. Those are some other people I've been talking with and some really cool opportunities coming ahead where we're going to go after, how can we be the church? One of the great things about the pandemic, and I know there's so much bad, but I'm seeing so much silver lining because this is like forced us, the church has been forced to leave the building and we're starting to realize, wait a minute, we can do church all over the world. We're not just confined by the four spaces uh, or by the, our four campuses and the four walls at each of our campuses. We are spread out and have a chance to speak life into people's lives that we never would think to had we not been called to, in many ways, be a pastor to people I could never meet. What an incredible gift we've been given. So more conversations to come, but I, I just, I'm just planting that seed today. The, the third is this. Um, so we have love and justice and then righteousness, the word Siddiqah. This word shows up 157 times in the Old Testament. And righteousness is, a, here's the beautiful definition that it's worded this way. Righteousness is doing the right thing in the right time at the right place for the right reason. I mean, that's holiness. You want to talk about being holy as our Heavenly Father is holy. Uh, Being perfect, being righteous, living out this stuff. This is a, a concept of, like, God is calling us to step up and not just go off into our little circles by ourselves, but it's entering into the world and being light in the darkness. Righteousness is fascinating because to live holy is actually to show us that, and the more you study our culture there are some things that are legal in the United States, in our culture, that are illegal in the kingdom of God. Again, Jesus says, seek my kingdom. We rise above the politics of this day. And he says, seek my kingdom, and I'm going to take you higher than all of this. And we're going to find out that there's a whole different law system. Greed is never to be a part of the righteous follower of Christ. Revenge rage against somebody because they've hurt you you see you could go on and on about these issues that you know we hurt one another and the gossip and all these lines you would never get thrown in jail for any of that stuff i guess greed you could say if you really swindled people and you get caught you know but but just taking more i mean we we as a culture just say more is better God says, not so much in my kingdom because God, when you become a citizen of the kingdom of God, you rise above the politics of these, this culture, no matter which culture we live in. Righteousness is so powerful and it's worded this way in 2 Samuel 8, David reigned over all of Israel, executing justice, there's the word mishpat, and righteousness over all of his people. You wonder why we're still talking about King David 3,000 years later. You wonder why the Old Testament, the only Old Testament figure in the book of Revelation is David. Why? Because he had the heart of God. He sought justice and righteousness for his people. So with what I've just shared, talking about these concepts of love and justice and righteousness, I want to now meddle back into American politics for a minute and help us navigate as a church. How do you live in a world that is so filled with vitriol? And some of us may be there. Please hear what I have to say on this because I really believe it is the heart of what God will have for us today and really in how we are to live in this really messy time. I want to show you a couple of words with an illustration here. This is a great description of American politics. (laughs) You really, you're either you come over here and you love righteousness, holiness, you know, I'm going to be really strong in my faith. Or you are over here and you just say, love everybody, anything goes, and, and then in the middle, there's a debate over justice. Like here, maybe some people say, shoot your guns. Here, you're like, hey, let's take them out in politics. And you've got all these different opinions on how you live out justice. And you've got tension And because it's really the concept of or. And then we brag about this as, as a society. The, go down the center of the aisle and we brag like, oh, I can cross the aisle. But you get over here and you punch them in the face when no one's looking, <laughs> you know. And you find a way to hurt them and, because it's us, them, and you have this idea that, you know, over here you're so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good because you're just all about being conservative and you're hidden off in your holiness and good for you. And, and over here you're so, you're, you're so open-minded that your brain falls out and you've got all this opinion about each other and there's all this tension because it's either or. With that in mind, I, I, I want to read to you the kingdom of God and what brings God delight. You know the word delight. Think about the last time you were delighted. Where, I mean, you couldn't stop laughing because there was so much joy inside of you. You had those holy goosebumps, and you're like, this is so good. And you can't stop smiling because it just feels so good. Delight is, is the essence of life. And God uses the word delight to show us how to live together. Listen to this. This is Jeremiah 9.24. Keep in mind, Jeremiah was written during a time of great oppression when the Babylonian Empire overtook the Jews and put them into captivity. You've got all sorts of pain and suffering. Look at what God says. Jeremiah 9.24. Let those who boast, if you want to boast your politics, boast in this, that they Understand and know me, says God, that I am the Lord. I act with love, chesed, justice, mishpat, and tzadikah, righteousness. Love, justice, and righteousness. In the earth, for in these things, I delight, says the Lord. The and is so profoundly beautiful and yet so few people have the courage to try to live by the and. And yet that's what God calls us to here. He says, I'm all for holiness. I'm all for righteousness that you will protect the law by which I want you to live. But at the same time, I'm loaded with love, loaded with justice to be able to care for the people that I've created. We're made in the image of God. The problem is we've forgotten that God actually loves people who disagree with us. How is that possible? Because God is above our kingdom. And that's what he's inviting us to become citizens of. Join my kingdom and your politics are going to change. Your life is going to be rearranged. I saw a beautiful illustration of this. My daughter... Many years ago, like 10 or 15 years ago, went to a, uh, it would have been at least 10 or 11 years. She went to um, this um, house that was right next door to an abortion clinic. And uh, this lady, her name was Mary, who led this retreat for these girls, young girls. She said, "Um, I hate abortion. I grieve for the amount of people who have been killed because we have not had the courage to figure out how to have a dialogue about this issue. So for years, she went to this abortion clinic and she prayed outside in her car. She would sometimes get out near the street on warm days and would pray over the abortion clinic And she said, God, I don't feel like I'm doing any good here. Help me figure this out. I don't know how I'm going to navigate this, but I've got so much rage inside of me. I want to yell. I want to say, you better change or we're going to have some fight here. But God, in his infinite mercy, gave her the and. And he showed her how to enter into the other side of the argument. And she started to build relationships. And God actually opened up the house right next door to the abortion clinic, and she bought it. <laughs> She's like, it's mine. She paid whatever she could. She got this, um, this house that was right next door to the abortion clinic, and there's a big picture window that is facing right out toward the abortion clinic. And she used her house now as a ministry to minister to and connect with all the people of the abortion clinic. Well, this uh, the clinic actually had this big wall, literally a wall, between the two sides of the argument. This woman never threw firebombs into the yard. She never cursed out the doctors as they came and went. She just prayed. God started to open her heart, open their conversation, open their relationship, so she started sitting on the wall, just every day, for hours, just talking to people as they came and went, never casting stones, just trying to understand, "Why do you do what you do?" And she started to understand their worldview, and they started to build some relationships. And she's never been eh, kicked out of that area, never it literally has kept a good, healthy relationship. And the doctors came to understand her worldview as they had this dialogue. And they said, hey, if you can help these mothers as they come, we're all for it, I guess. You know, amazing miracle. She now on the picture window, my daughter was able to see it, has hundreds of crosses for every time she rescued a baby. She put a cross on that window and many of them were stained glass window or stained glass crosses so she could look through them and she described it as, I can see through a different perspective when I look through a stained glass window and she's seeing all of these crosses that remind her that I'm doing it God's way wins. Showing love for people that you disagree with is so beautiful and right. You see, that's rising above and joining the kingdom of God. And what, what I love about this is that Jesus' ministry was in, in so many ways. In Luke 4, when we see I, Isaiah 61, we just read from Isaiah where it talks about um, I go after justice and in, in all of this. Isaiah 61 is loaded with all of these different concepts and we have this beautiful image of God saying, Jesus' first ministry moment, Luke chapter 4, where he starts to preach about saving the widow and the oppressed, I've come to set the captives free, is all around this concept of the end, of rising above this moment and saying, I'm going to join the world in the politics of it and I'm going to join in. But here's what's great about the ministry of Jesus and what his ministry invites us into. Jesus's ministry was not just a bunch of political cliches. Jesus could have easily said, the government shall be upon my shoulders. That's what Isaiah said. He could have said, the politics are mine. The government is upon my shoulders. He could have preached this great political rally. He could have said, come not to be served, but to serve. I mean, that will get a rally cry of people. But he didn't just do these political cliches in his ministry. He backed it up on the cross And he said, there's no way the the divisions in this world are going to happen and bring healing apart from me taking the ultimate sacrifice and dying for all of their sins to bring them together. And anybody that then follows the story of Jesus Christ and says, I repent of my sin and follow you as the true king of kings and the true Lord of lords is able to join as a citizen of God's kingdom to rise above all of the fray of American politics and Babylonian politics and Persian politics and Roman politics to become a part of the kingdom that's going to last forever and ever and ever. What's so great about the cross is that is our declaration of dependence. That is the very thing that calls us to say, I can't do this world on my own. Jesus, take my life as the true King of kings and Lord of lords. You see, he's the speaker of the Father's house. He's all three branches of government. He will take us, and when we're divided, he will bring us together and find a way to give us love for those that we typically would hate. And to invite them into a story where maybe, just maybe, we get a chance to to set up shop right next door and we build relationship and we watch healing happen. That's the kingdom of God alive. But it's upside down, I know. And it's nothing like what you want to do because it's so much easier to punch somebody than to lay down a basin and towel and wash their feet. But when you do that... I'm telling you, that's what changes the world. And that's what this world is crying out for. And that's why all these talking heads are yelling because they don't know, well, somebody rise up and speak life. That's what Jesus came to set us free for. That's what independence is all about, freedom in Christ. Because we're dependent and declaring our dependence on Jesus Christ and in him alone. When we get this right, we flourish. So I invite you to be a part of the Upside Down Kingdom. It's messy. It even messes with politics. But it's worth it. I can't think of a better way to celebrate the 4th of July than our dependence on Jesus Christ, the one who showed us how to live in a world that wants to figure out policy and how to live together. So let's, let's not be a church that hides our ear to the fights that are going on, but let's engage in this world in a way that is filled with love, justice, and incredible righteousness. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you for being the king of all kings. Tiberius Caesar didn't know what he was saying when he declared that's his title. But yet, God, every one of us are Tiberius Caesar in this world sometimes. We think our way is better than everybody else's way. We think we are uh, truly... God's gift to the world, but God, that, that, can, that never happens when we do it on our own strength. And so, God, I pray that every one of us, whoever hears my voice online, uh, to those that are watching later in the future, God, I just pray as they hear my voice, there is a strong dependence on you that starts to rise up within their spirit and thus a repentance to truly give their life to you and to trust that you're the one that is going to bring us together. You're the one that's going to teach us proper policy to live in this world. You're the one that's going to give us courage to have life-giving, loving conversations around the dinner table with the frustrated family member who always gets us into politics. God, teach us to be a church that knows how to navigate these waters that are so dicey right now. I'm thankful for your amazing grace that we can have these fresh starts. And I pray that there's a lot of fresh start conversations happening in our spirits. And again, Lord, I thank you that these, this is just the beginning of the conversation, I hope. I hope that your Holy Spirit takes from this message and takes every one of us into healthy dialogue with our closest friends and with our strongest enemies so that we can see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, I thank you. Amen and amen.